the greatest battle ever fought. Chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, beginning with verse 15, the Word of God says, Wherefore I also, and this is the Apostle Paul, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and love unto all the saints, he's not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glories of his inheritance in the saints. And I always want to say the word is. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come. Father, we're thankful today for the privilege of being in the house of the Lord. Thank you for the spirit that has manifested himself in this place and has touched us, touched us in many several ways. All oh, how we need his presence, how we need his touch today. We're thankful for the songs that have been sung, the lessons that have been taught in the word of God that's now before us to consider. May we glean from it. May we feast from it. May we be blessed by it. God, if there's a lost among us, save them. And if there's someone, God, whose name is in the Lamb's book of life, that's fighting the greatest battle in their life individually that they've ever fought in, I pray. I pray, God, that you might help us understanding that your power has been manifested toward us, God, so that we can leave here determined and even with the victory that we need, that we can't get by ourselves, and we'll praise you for it. For we ask it in the name of Christ Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and all of God's people said, Amen. I want to draw our attention back to verse 19 and listen to what the Apostle Paul said. Now, as we look at this prayer... And I'll, I'll, I'll continue with that in just a minute. As we look at Paul's prayer, as you read the epistles that he has written under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, you'll come to learn that there's some of the greatest scripture to be found anywhere in the Word of God. And you may be surprised that Paul never prayed for somebody's hurt back or hurt feelings or headache. He went deeper than the flesh. He dealt with the spirit. He dealt with our mind. He dealt with the spiritual man, with our maturity in Christ, and with our knowledge about Christ. You know what? That convicts me as a pastor. I don't pray deeply enough for you all when I pray, and yet I do pray for things like that. But in this prayer that we find recorded here and preserved here by Almighty God, we find thing apostle in verses 17 18 and 19 we find about the person of Christ we find something about the parts or the portions that we get from Christ referring to being enlightened about the great things that and that uh, accompany our salvation things that go beyond anything that you and I in reality are able to comprehend and then he talks about the power of Christ. 
That's what I want to deal with today. I want to deal with the power of Christ that's being manifested toward us, to uswards, to use the words that the Apostle Paul used. Notice in verse 19 that the great Apostle made sure he employed just the right adjectives to rightly describe the power that was displayed in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. No wonder Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, maybe 17 and 18, he said, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. In fact, the cross where Jesus died and the work that he did on our behalf as he died, do you know what it displayed? The greatest display of God's wisdom ever displayed before mankind. And as we look around, have you ever wondered about the power of God? Paul said, listen to this. He said it's just not great, but he said this power is exceeding great. I like that, friend. I'm glad to know that Paul just didn't say it was great. I'm glad that it is, but it's exceeding. It's not only, I'm about to get real happy, it's not only just what we need, but a whole lot more. That ought to excite RGTite out of your seat. Amen. He's got not just grace, but abundant grace, available grace, plenty of grace, and grace greater than all of our needs, all of our sin. You ever wonder about the power of God? It's displayed in many ways all around us. Look up. Look up in the skies, which the Word of God says in the book of Psalm 19, that it is simply the handiwork of God. I tell and I say, and I'll continue to tell it this way, it's almost when God got putting the stars, the sun, the moon, the planets in orbit, and he put the universe and the galaxies uh, in one another and said, all right, now get at it. It's almost as if he didn't even try. But when it came time, and I'll say this again maybe in the message, to to provide salvation to you and me, sinners lost and undone, doomed for a Christless eternity. The Bible says he rolled his sleeve up and bared his arm. You know, I remember my daddy doing that. He'd be out working and, and you know, maybe be in early spring or late fall and he began to get heated up and work would become hard and sweat break out on him. He had something he had to do as mighty. You know what he'd do? He'd roll them sleeves up and maybe spit in his hands and do that. Rub them together. Hey friend listen, God bared his arm for me and you to save a wretch like us. Y'all can shout just anytime you want to. This power can be seen as we look skyward. Do you ever look at the vastness of an ever-expanding universe? Uh, I mean, they tell me in our own Milky Way systems that there are billions of stars. Isn't that amazing? 
They tell me that the reason, see, I, I could flat foot this pulpit right now. They tell me the reason that the universe cannot be measured. And the Bible says if they can measure the universe, then God would quit doing something. I, that's for another message. You know why they can't measure? It's still expanding. Man, I like that. That's so exciting. But as we look skyward, do you know what? And we consider the vastness of space and the ever-expanding universe that's there and the exact precision with which it operates, operates within this speed that is all but incomprehensible to a common man like me. Hey, we can see the power of God manifest, but that ain't the greatest manifestation of his power. Anybody ever in here look through a microscope and saw an atom? I know an atom or two, but I've never. If it takes you that long to get it, I've failed. All right? I've never seen an atom. They tell me, I Googled this, and you know everything you read online, you can believe. They consider atoms to be the smallest unit of matter that exists. Do you know know how big an atom is? It is one millionth. Did y'all get that? Did y'all like the th on the end of that? One millionth. One millionth, okay? One millionth the thickness of a human hair. Yeah. And listen, everything Everything is made up of molecules and molecules are made up of, 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 of matter and matter is made up of atoms which are one millionth of the thickness of a human hair. I have seen pictures of atoms. They've got something called neutrons and protons in them that move at breakneck speed, they make a circle billions of times in one billionth of a second. My head's hurting. How's your alls doing? I can't fathom this. You know what they did one time? They tore open the atom. They got it, but they couldn't put it back together. And they wondered. They said, well, how in the world? Who, what holds this together? And I raised my hand up and said, I know, I know. His name is Jehovah. He's the creator, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. Listen, friend, you're talking about power, that's power. And in that atom, now listen, that negative and positive charge, proton and neutron, makes so much speed. And although there is all kinds of room, that's how I read it, in that atom, There's all kinds of room now in something that's one millionth of the thickness of a hair. They say those protons and neutrons go so fast that it seems like it's a solid. You know what I feel like doing? Getting on my knees and bowing my head and worshiping the Creator. I'm not kidding. Man, I am not kidding, but wait just a minute. 
Wait just a minute, friend. Listen, that's not the greatest manifestation of God's power, not not the space that exists above us, nor, friend, the sky, uh, nor or, or what is below us, but the greatest manifestation of his power can be seen displaced toward us. Now, y'all ought to be getting that. You know what that power is? It's power to redeem us. It's power to meet God's holy demands for us. It is, friend, listen, that power that is greater than God exerted when he spoke all things into existence and now as he sustains all things that do exist by his power, I say glory to God. This morning, what a mighty God we serve. Don, where are you at? I'm going to have to quit singing. I get up there and stretch my voice in the choir and don't have enough to preach like I want. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. An amazing statement that is that God has manifested. Did you ever get that strange word in verse 19? He's manifested his love to us word. Us word, sinners that have been now saved by grace. And you know what he does when he displays that? Listen, friend, he displays all the powers of the Godhead collectively. You see, when God, listen, when salvation came on, God brought it, Jesus bought it, and the Holy Spirit wrought it. It took the Holy Trinity to make a plan of salvation that would deliver sinners, undeserved, fallen humanity out of the bonds of sin to make us fit subject for the kingdom of heaven. I say glory to God. I say glory to God. You see, it took more power to redeem us, and I'll say more later probably than it did uh, to create us. I already told you then Isaiah 53, 1, and that's where that's at. God rolled up his sleeve, friend, in what he did in bringing us out of darkness into light. And you know what he's going to do one day? He's going to take us to heaven with him. So here's the message. I've got four points, and we'll give them to you, give them to you quick. First of all, we're talking about the greatest battle ever fought. You know where it was fought? It was fought at a place called Calvary. Do you ever wonder what God thought the day, the day that he called land to rise out of the sea when the firmament, when the firmament appeared and when he looked at a hill called Moriah in a place that would be known as Israel. The very place where the cross of his only begotten son would be suspended between the heavens and the earth. Do you ever wonder what God thought? I wondered even this. I wondered when he etched out those stones. I wondered if he made a hole in the ground that was a perfect size to receive a cross. Do you ever wonder about that? 
Hey, listen, in the hills of West Virginia, you see all kinds of strange things. And if you walk over places where a lot of coal mines have been, you can see some deep things if you're not careful. But God's able. Would you all agree with that? It wouldn't surprise me if he said right there, put his finger, and that rock just indented. Now, they probably put wedges in, in that upright beam to hold that crossbar upon which they nailed him to that tree, his hands and his feet to receive him. I can't see why he couldn't, but I do wonder what he thought when he did that. Strange, maybe. Do you know what? According to the Word of God, According to the book of Acts, turn with me to chapter 2 and read three verses of Scripture with me on the day of Pentecost when Peter was preaching. He said it was done by the determinate counsel of Almighty God. Listen, listen to this. It was no accident. On the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came to inaugurate the church and to homogenize it, bring it together in one body, Peter said, you men of Israel... Hear the words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved to God among you by miracles, wonders, and signs. He said, which he did, uh, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourself know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, him taken by wicked hands and crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosened the pains of death, because it was not impossible, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Can I tell you, God's power was displayed at a place called Calvary when he allowed his son and my Savior to be crucified in my stead, in your stead. When a sovereign God, friend, when a sovereign God gave the victory to his son that he promised in Genesis 3.15 when he told uh, Eve that she would have a deliverer that would come. Not only, not only do we find the greatest battle fought at a place called Calvary, but we find that it was fought with the greatest enemies of God and man. We know who that is, don't we? In the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says something like, uh, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If the devil had his way, he'd take us all to hell today. He's got power. If you agree with that, say amen. But you know what I know? I know somebody that's got all power. I never forget when I was studying for my degree in theology that I came across in studying theology, the study on God, the study of God, when I learned that he was almighty. Man, I'll never forget when the Spirit says, look, dude, Satan's mighty, but the one you're serving, your heavenly Father, is almighty. And I'm glad that he's like that. I'm glad Jesus said, I have all power in heaven and in earth. I say praise. Can I, can I ask y'all something? Y'all know the lion is the king of the jungle. If you know that, say amen. Do y'all know that they say that a lion is afraid of nothing? You ever heard anybody say that? Well, I'm going to tell you that's not the truth. You know a lion, the only thing a lion is afraid of 
is a bigger lion. I like that. I didn't originate it, but I like it. Hey, the, the enemy was, if you want to turn, I'm not going to for time's sake. Look at Revelation chapter 12, look at verse 3, look at verse 7, and you'll find the great enemy of man's soul, the great enemy of God, the great angel that rose up in heaven in an eternity past to try to establish his throne above the throne of God and drew a third part of the angels out of heaven with him. The Bible refers to him as the dragon, the red dragon, as Satan himself, as the deceiver and as the accuser of the brethren. That's who it is. He is a formidable enemy. And you know what his purpose is? You'll find it in John 10 and 10. Jesus said for the thief, the thief and Satan is the thief. He has come to uh, kill, steal, and destroy He'll do that, friend, if he can. Not only, listen, uh, was the greatest battle fought at Calvary against the greatest enemy of God and man, but the victory was won at the greatest cost. Turn to the book of John. Familiar passage, verse 16 of chapter 3, and I'm going to turn with you. I believe we could all quote it, but every now and then it just does, I think, a body good to read it again, to listen to it, and to look at it as we do. I would even ask you, if you wouldn't mind, to read it with me together on the count of three. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I say glory to God to that. Hey, listen, in creating man, it only costs God his breath. He formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into man's nostril the breath of life, and man became a living soul. When it came time, and you've heard me say this time and again, but when it came time for God who created man to redeem man, cost him his blood. It cost him his life. It cost him the life of his unique, one-of-a-kind, only begotten son. You see, we need not forget that when Jesus died, before he did, they beat him until he was, he, until he was unrecognizable. You know the scripture in Isaiah 53, when it says at that uh, when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Now listen. That wasn't as he was a boy and a young man and a middle-aged man walking around on planet Earth. He was the second or the last Adam. Are you with me? This is a reference to when he became a sacrifice for my sin and your sin. When he received what you and I should have received. When he was beaten and abused as you and I should have been. He was so mistreated that his vestige, his image was more marred than any man. And you know what that was a picture of? It was a true picture of the effects of sin and what sin truly is. Oh, it's a pleasant thing. Everybody agrees that sin is pleasurable, say amen. But it's an ugly thing. 
It leaves in its wake more ugliness than any of us can explain without a doubt. They scourged him to the degree that it looked like somebody had plowed his back. They placed a crown of thorns upon him. They tore out his beard. They didn't take eye tweezers, lady, and just pluck. They got him by the hands full, and they tore out his beard. I believe with it came flesh. I believe it followed. They spat upon him. He was sweating. Oh, what a, what a terrible mess he looked like when they looked upon him. They nailed his hands and his feet to an old rugged cross. They lifted the cross, and, 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 and when it fell to its standing place, all, oh, not one, but all of his joints came out of place. Could you imagine that? He experienced extreme thirst. He experienced total exhaustion. And can you imagine, even though it was but for three hours, let me tell you all, six hours total, but, but can I tell you something? Even though it was for those hours, it was an eternity for Christ. Shall we mean, preacher? I never will forget when I learned this. I didn't originate it either, but it stuck with me from the first time I heard it. There's only two ways to pay for my sin and your sin. The first way is if you as a finite creature would be when you die, God puts you in a place called hell where you'll forever die paying for your sins but never getting them paid for for eternity. Or... Allowing God to lay upon Jesus Christ an eternal being for a finite amount of time. Hey, my sins and yours, where he could suffer our separation and our hell so that we could be set free. You've got to decide for that. But all what he suffered, friend, what a great cost that it was. And you know what he did? In the final hour of that suspension between the heaven and the earth, when he knew all things were fulfilled, after asking for a drink, he cried, Te, telestai, meaning it is finished. He bowed his head, laid it on his chest, and the Bible said, glory to God, he gave up the ghost. Nobody took his life from him. He, he laid it down so that he might take it up again. And he was taken down from the cross. Hurriedly prepared for burial. Placed in a borrowed tomb that had a seal. The seal of Rome eventually placed upon it. Y'all know what my next word is? Until. He laid there in that borrowed tomb. His body did until the third day dawned. And then, friend, he broke the bonds of death. He left his grave clothes behind, marched out of that borrowed tomb with the power of an endless life. And he declared, I am he that was dead and am alive, and I'm alive forevermore. And I say again, glory, hallelujah. 
And let me tell you something else. If that don't make you happy, this should. And he said, because I live, ye shall live also. Thank God. And it was in that same power that 40 days later, 40 days later, he would break the bonds of planet earth, pass through the dominion of the prince of the power of the air. And unlike Michael, who was bringing an answer from God to a man by the name of Daniel that had prayed for 21 days, who was heard in the first day of his prayer, and had uh, and Michael had been dispatched to him. He broke through the principalities of the power of the air, unhindered and unaided by angels. Again, I say glory to God. And you know where he ascended to? He ascended to the gates of heaven. Walked down Glory Avenue that led to the eternal throne of God where he went past the gazing angels and took his seat, friend, took his seat after he passed um, that crystal uh, stream that flowed up to the very throne of God with nail-pierced hands and nail-pierced feet and took his place sitting eternally on the right hand of the majesty of God. Can you imagine what I'm going to say now? Glory to God. And he's going to be there, friend, until he returns. Listen to what it says here in Ephesians far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but that world which is to come. And finally, not only do we see the greatest battle that was fought at Calvary or the greatest uh, enemy that was ever faced, and the greatest victory that was ever won, we see him securing the greatest outcome ever known. Everybody in here that's saved, say amen. amen. I quoted you the beginning of John 10, 10 earlier when Jesus said that the thief, meaning the hireling, meaning Satan himself, actually, has come to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus finishes that verse this ought to make you glad, saying, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Again, everybody that's saved, say amen. You have eternal life because you possess, you have abundant life because you possess eternal life. Say amen. Can't get any clearer than that. You know what else he said? Turn to the book of Acts chapter 13. Look at verse 38 and 39 with me. Hey, look, friend, there's so much of this that's shouting ground, it's not funny. I hope you listen to this again online. Verse 38 says this, and this is a part uh, of the first message that the great apostle Paul preached. He said, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, meaning Jesus Christ, is preached unto you 
the forgiveness of sin. Everybody that's been forgiven, say amen. amen. Do you remember when the burden lifted? You remember when the condemnation was gone? Do you remember when there was no longer a dread of death, a fear of hell, and a worry about standing before a holy God in judgment? I say glory. I'll never forget that. Who would want to and who in their right mind could? Goes on to say, it keeps getting better. And by him, what's the next word? Say it. All that believe are justified from, say it, all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. The greatest battle ever fought, listen, secured the greatest outcome ever known to man. Turn to the book of 1 Timothy 2.4. You're close enough to it, stick to it. I'll get you to turn on over into chapter 2. And listen to what he says in 2.4. Here's God's will, sinner friend. Here is God's will for me and for you. I accepted it. I recognized it. I embraced it. April the 23rd, 1974. And today could be your day. What is this? November the 12th, 2023? Okay. I know what year I'm in. I know what state I'm in. I even know who's president, unfortunately. I wish I could forget that. But, but I'm doing a mini, a mini mental status on me. I just wasn't sure of the day. Okay? Not sure of the day. I tell you what, my reminder on my phone has ruined me when it comes to calendars. Gee, many. But listen to what it says. Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You know what the truth is? Two things. Two things. You're a sinner and Christ is a Savior. And until you learn that, you don't need to know anything else. Nothing else will help you in eternity. Oh, you may get promoted down here. You, you may get a raise in salary. You may get accolades and admiration. But it won't help you when you stand before the judge of all the universe. And finally, how about 2 Timothy 1 and 10? You know what Christ did? And I'm even going to turn to this one and read it. I love this verse. 2 Timothy 1 and 10. Listen to what it says. But now is manifest by Christ who hath abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You know what Jesus did at Calvary? He did everything that needed to be done. Doesn't that sum it up very rightly? He'd done all that was needed to preserve the holiness of God while allowing God a way to have a relationship with a sinner. Do you know how he did that? Not by making us righteous, but by declaring us righteous. He did that through a work of justification. And since Mark Fisher texted me, asked me for that definition, I'll give it to you, my definition. Justification, now listen to all of it. Justification is a judicial act of God, whereby, in light of what Jesus did at Calvary, God is able to declare, not make, but declare a sinner righteous while still in a sinning state. That is bare bones good. That's a T.K. Price definition. Now listen to what justification is. 
It is to be just as if I had not sinned, but it's way more. It is to be just as if I had never been a sinner. Because, listen now, man, I'm giving y'all my best this morning. When we get in Christ, we become all that Christ is. And since Christ never sinned, and I am in Christ, and Christ is in me, when God sees me, He sees His Son, and therefore He sees me as if I had never been a sinner. I'm going to sleep good tonight because I preach this message. The greatest battle ever fought. Let me close by asking you a couple of things if I can. First of all, I'll ask if anybody is here lost and beg you not to leave that way. I ask... For those that are believers and even those that are not. What enemy do you need to defeat out of the world from the flesh or even the devil himself? I've seen a lot of sinners that I've witnessed to, and they say, you know what, preacher, I'm I'm gonna come to church and I'm gonna be saved after I quit cussing, after I quit drinking, after I quit lying, after I quit cheating, after I quit stealing. And you know what I'd tell them? I'd say, no, you're not. You know, they said, yeah, I'm going to. I said, no, you're not. And I'd tell them, I'd say, look, here's why. You've got a good desire, but you don't have any power to succeed. You don't have any ways or means to accomplish that. You might be able to do it two or three days or two or three weeks, but I guarantee you it won't last. I said, what you need is power inside of you that will enable you That'll get the defeat for you. Some of them look at me kind of like you all did, but after we talked, they'd say, I understand what you mean. You see, none of us can defeat the world, the flesh, the devil by ourselves. We don't have the ability. In ourselves, we cannot do it, but God, listen, God has displayed His power to usward. I dislike that word to us word. Do what his son did at Calvary. Every head bowed.